Imagine. 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 What will Canada be like by 2080? We're asking people to look generations ahead as we look at future-focused ideas, research, possibilities, and ambitions that could steer Canada forward. Welcome to Imagine 2080, a podcast made possible by McMaster University, produced by the Walrus Lab. So why are we thinking all the way to 2080? Yes, it's 56 years from now. Most future scenarios rarely go this far, much less strategic plans and projections. But we want to look generations ahead. I'm your host, Anne Elizabeth Sampson. I've been doing this for like 10 years. And my Auntie Josephine died doing her work. And often, even when talking about 2080, it's scary to think that 10 years has gone by and very little change has happened. And sometimes I feel like, well, am I going to be like 80 years old and I'm still talking about the same thing I was talking about when I was eight? That's 19-year-old Anishinaabe activist Autumn Peltier from Wikwimikong First Nation. I'm the Chief Water Commissioner for Anishinaabe Nation and I'm also an Indigenous Rights and Water Activist. For Autumn, this is what she'd like to see by 2080. Honestly, a good day, in my opinion, in 2080, would be being able to see Indigenous people in power, yeah. in powerful positions. In like the House of Commons, it would be amazing to see Indigenous people representing a country that we originate from. She was speaking at Imagining 2080, a forum on Canada's futures at McMaster University in Hamilton back in November 2023. The forum was part of an initiative at McMaster University called the Future of Canada Project, a pilot funded by a gift from the L.R. Wilson Foundation. It was founded in 2020 as a three-year pilot project with a goal to better understand the issues and opportunities facing Canada. The project supports research at McMaster and a future fellows program the forum was a culminating event for the project, bringing together 150 possibility-minded delegates to collectively explore potential futures for Canada in 2080. Now, if Autumn's name isn't immediately recognizable, you might remember her from this speech six years ago at the United Nations General Assembly. I now give the floor to Ms. Autumn Peltier, Anishinaabe, water advocate from Wikwi Mekong First Nation, as a representative of civil society. I'm lending my voice to speak up for water and Mother Earth. You may have seen the iconic images of a then 13-year-old Autumn standing in front of the General Assembly of the United Nations on World Water Day. She wore a burgundy ribbon dress with a floral design down the center, which stretched from her shoulders to her calves. Her long, dark hair was in a braid wrapped in white ribbon resting on her shoulder and an eagle feather in her hair as she addressed world leaders about the importance of protecting water. And when it comes to thinking about 2080, this is a future that Autumn and her generation could be living in. And she's concerned about what that future could hold. So here we are, exploring what a tomorrow could be. We're imagining 2080. 
What is a sustainable future? Is it flying cars, trips to space and hands-free living, or utilizing knowledge from our ancestors and applying it collaboratively to the tools we have access to today, which we can continue to build a future that can provide more longevity and health on land that's meant to sustain us all? I do believe traditional indigenous ways and modern ways can be fused together. I feel future generations behind us are headed towards difficult times. And what are we doing? If we could all be in the same room in 2080, will we be asking the same questions? If we don't act now, how much more damage will be done to Mother Earth and humanity? At this rate, let me pose this question. Will we even have a future in 2080? Autumn isn't alone when it comes to these sentiments. The current narrative about Canada's future lacks hope and possibility. We see this narrative play out daily. A study in 2023 in the Journal of Climate Change and Health showed that almost 80% of young people in Canada feel that climate change has impacted their mental health. 37% say their feelings about climate change have a negative impact on their day-to-day -day functioning. And 56% report feeling sad, anxious, and powerless. And that's just one aspect of the future that looks bleak to young people. We haven't even mentioned war, lack of opportunity, the cost of living, polarization, and the pandemic. It's easy to feel hopeless. But hope is important. Hope is action. As Cory Doctorow said, hope is a method. If I do something about this situation, I might change it enough so that I can do something else about this situation. In order to provide space at the forum for all of us to imagine and explore aspirational, yet realistic, futures of Canada, what we really needed to do was to think beyond the inherent challenges that come with transitional periods. Governments, NGOs like the UN, universities and private sector organizations all tend to look 10, 20 years ahead when planning for the future, with many looking at even shorter time horizons. But looking multiple decades also allows us to think beyond current assumptions and imagine what we want to strive towards. But while these possibility-minded, future-focused folks exist, there has not been a centralized way for these groups, all engaged in so-called futures work, to collaborate. Futures work is a bucket term used to describe a number of approaches to long-term thinking, including strategic foresight, future scenario planning, and other frameworks and methodologies that help create stories about where we are going and then allow us to learn from them to make better decisions today. So this is where Jane Engel from Dark Matter Labs comes in. What we decided to do was to focus on 12 hopeful facts and stats for 2080. Jane Engel is an urbanist, strategist, and adjunct professor at McGill University and co-authored the book Sacred Civics, Building Seven Generation Cities. She believes the future is largely going to be built around greater community civic engagement. As one of the speakers for the Imagining 2080 Forum, she was asked to share her vision of what 2080 could be like. She has broken down these 12 hopeful facts and stats for 2080 into four different categories, which she calls becoming together, living together, lawing together, and governing together. I'll let her explain more. 
People build communities with new forms of low-tech, so traditional ecological knowledges, and also high-tech. Material registries for new reuse economies, for example, which has been great for transitioning Canada's mining industry. And the land back movement was a critical catalyst for the rewilding revolution. Housing is now highly adaptive, easily reconfigured, and has diverse forms of tenure, including what we call free housing, which are self-owning homes with new financing models. Jane Engel is one of the eight hopeful speakers at the Imagining 2080 Forum in November 2023, and she explained the methodology behind the 12 hopeful facts as she shared center stage at the forum. What we decided to do was to focus on 12 hopeful facts and stats for 2080. We actually began with questioning the year. We decided we wanted to take the liberty to question all assumptions, except those which are basically sacred natural law. We need air to breathe, we need water to drink, we need food, shelter. Besides that, it's all made up, right? It's all a social construction. So we decided to really question fundamentally most of the things that we take for granted. And so one of those, first of all, is the Gregorian calendar. So we, we happen to use that, but you know, why do we use that? Does it make sense to continually use that? And we thought that it makes sense actually to put it into question, not least because we know that indigenous peoples were here on these lands for well over 10,000 years. So we started by adding a one to the beginning to add 10,000 years. So we made it 12,080 instead of 2080. And then what we did is we went through a process together and came up with 12 facts and stats in four areas. Now, this shift in perspective of thinking generations ahead and thinking of generations is something Indigenous peoples have traditionally done. For Autumn Peltier and her ancestors in the Wik'wemekong First Nation, Understanding the past is what helps her think about the future. How my grandfather talked about when he was young. And, you know, the practices were so different compared to now. And he always emphasizes how, how much change, how much negative change has happened within that short amount of time. And at the rate we're going, if we don't act now and find solutions and collaborate and work together, I find it's probably going to go a little bit faster than it did the first time. Yeah. And so when I think of a future, it's, it's kind of hard to have hope in this generation, given how much like negative things happen in our world. But in, it's the youth that give me hope. And I feel that the young generations are very, like their minds are very open and that gives me a lot of hope and I'm sure it does for a lot of other people. So I'm very confident in the younger generations. But what if we change how we define the population? These ideas that Jane is talking about are grounded in reality. So the first one is census. And for the census, we said, okay, well, currently Canada is a country of about 40 million people. How about if in 2080, we think that the country is probably at least 40 billion? And of course, initially that's quite shocking Yes, it's definitely shocking. 
However, the assumption is, of course, you're, you're counting people just as we do now. But what we did is actually said, okay, we've actually moved to make census also a measure of biodiversity. So census now means we're counting people and we're also counting keystone species of birds, animals, insects, microbes, even certain machines and so on. So that's how evolved that. And also we're taking into account that even people have different complex forms of identity, right? It's already emerging, but this would be a way to evolve how emergent identities regarding lineages, regarding genders are all taking place. So the census is much, is much richer than, uh, than what we have currently. And, and of course, it helps to us to address biodiversity. Another one that we came up with is what we call life-affirming economies. And so life-affirming economies is really, actually, the life-affirming language, one place that it comes out of uh, is abolition movements. And it's really centered on principles of creativity, a notion of sufficiency, nonviolence, and generosity. But it's not completely out of the realm of being true. Let's get some concepts around futuring and why it's useful for all of us. Basically, we imagine that if we have life-affirming economies, that means that there's also universal access to basic essentials for life. And that's supported through circularity of living and working. Also, we have multiple forms of currency. So it's not all the typical fiat currency that we're used to now of the dollar. We also think about capital in other ways. We have multi-capital banks. Ah, yes. If we are thinking about the economy, in the near term, most think about increasing Canada's competitiveness and productivity without end. But if we were to think about the economy in 2080, we can question some of those fundamental assumptions. In the longer term, with our climate realities alongside technology, maybe we need to think about productivity differently. The same is true with a number of challenges we feel mired in today. Now, in a few episodes, we'll take a deeper dive into the future economy and what it could look like. But for now, as Jane says, this is how the economy could be shaping up if we shift our ways of thinking. Really, our economic system is fundamentally changed. And a lot of that has also evolved in relation to deeper learning through processes of truth and reconciliation. So lots of indigenous wisdom is also built into our economies in a much more fundamental way. And we're also using new technologies in ways that help to support this life-affirming nature of basically what a new common good economy can be. So it's much more moving away from continual accumulation of wealth in the hands of a few towards much more distributed forms of economy, much more sharing, much more focus on centering what it means to be human really, in a different kind of way and in a different kind of relationality. And then a next one is that relationality also translates to how we engage with our relationships with land. And so one of these, and this one in particular I love because it's actually already happening, it's in the works, and it's called Free Land. And Free Land is a partnership that we are in with the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center. And when I say we, it's Dark Matter Labs. We're doing some work on the future of property. It's called the Property, property and Beyond Lab. And when it comes to housing, by 2080, Jane says, 
the way we all live will increasingly need to change. We're still on a path where housing is increasingly becoming an asset class for the financially wealthy, and more and more people continue to be pushed out of housing. We know that the numbers of people experiencing houselessness is rising. We know that urban encampments are rising. How do we evolve, right? How do we test new models? Like in the midst of the current housing crisis, we would argue is the time that we have to test radically new models for what housing of the future can look like. What Jane is suggesting is, what if we stopped looking at homes as if they were a commodity to be bought and sold on the real estate market? What if instead, Homes became self-owning, where the home itself is recognized as its own sort of knot of value flows. This is what Jane and her colleagues at Dark Matter Labs have been working on. They are looking at the various different values that go into a home from the moment it's constructed to when it's deconstructed. Jane explains more on this model. So one model is this idea of free homes, new self-owning homes through a different kind of financing model, different kinds of relationships, relationships of stewardship, of care, of reciprocity, grew in part out of the urban encampment that were happening, especially in the 2020s, especially in the wake of pandemic, but then growing thereafter. And then we see these also evolving in a way that as societies evolve, as we build life-affirming economies, that also when the temperature is right in a place like Canada, that we also see more urban nomadic living, right? Populations are going to increase due to climate migration. Cities are going to become a place that it's a good place to live. Back at the Imagining 2080 Forum, activist Autumn Peltier sits center stage, and she reflects about youth advocates and how they are more important than ever when thinking about the future of Canada. Kids have things to say too, and it's my belief that we give them the same spaces to contribute with their ideas and thoughts more often. There are so many youth-led movements, and too often they are set aside for an agenda for profit and greed. My advocacy may inspire others, but it also inspires me because I continue to fortunately use my voice in wider spaces with great individuals like all of you in this room tonight. As Autumn puts it, keeping up with this conversation is critical. How much more worse will these situations get? You know, it's been 10 years. Again, I'll emphasize that again. It's been 10 years that I'm doing this, and and there's still really no, like, you know, government change or government policy that's been, like, implemented in our communities. And it's it's just a constant fight of, like, you know, wanting to be heard and wanting to create change, but it's so hard. But what keeps me going, of course, again, is my family and my peers and my support that I have around me. And, you know, again, remembering why I'm doing what I'm doing. The message that I believe today is that we should think about ways that we can not just talk about these issues, but actually create change and like implement solutions. Because, you know, it's one thing to just talk about it, but it's super important to actually take the action into like trying to create that change. And like thinking about how you in your own daily life can kind of like, I don't know, like integrate those things into your daily life, like making changes within yourself. And Jane Engel agrees. When thinking about 2080, collaboration is key, and we need to want to be the change. We sort of assume that things are going to be about the same with sort of tweaks. And 
I actually think that the future can be, we can have futures which are radically better, radically different, and that it is, we way over limit ourselves. And building towards those futures is a long-term endeavor, right? And in some ways, it's a question of not only imagining what futures are possible, but then backcasting to what does that mean for today? And what do we need to be moving towards today? What are the steps that we take? Because it is a mistake if we're both only making in- incremental changes now and then radically dreaming about utopias, but we're not making any connections between those. It's actually, okay, what can we actually build for long-term futures? Where do we want to go as societies? And then what does that mean? How do we transition towards that? And this is exactly the kind of thing we're trying to build. And this is exactly what I'd love to invite people into co-build with us on. We hope you will be challenged inspired, and surprised by what we can imagine together for 2080. In doing so, we can try our best, understanding the responsibility and privilege we have to do this work together. Historically speaking, imagining the future has not been available, allowed, or encouraged for many people living here. Our opportunity is to dream big and bold and understand that the goal isn't a single vision for 2080, but many ideas that reflect what we individually hope to see. On the next episode of Imagine 2080, how are the decisions that are being made today going to impact the circumstances of people two generations from now. We'll be exploring the visions of young people and children, and how artificial intelligence may change the way the next generations think and act. Humans in the recent past have maybe uh, been uh, losing in some sense, and that we're now worse uh, than machines are at uh, numerical computations, at uh, search and information retrieval, at game playing, and now maybe even at college essay writing. Okay? And there will be definitely more that we can get AI systems to outperform humans at. But that's not the point. Humans are always going to be the best at being humans, and we are the end goal. We're not some means to an end. We don't need to justify ourselves in terms of we're better than AI at X. And so I really advocate uh, for thinking of AI as a tool that we can control and shape its development of, and not as a competing intelligence. That's next time on Imagine 2080. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Imagine 2080. This episode was edited by Sheena Rossiter. It was written by Sheena Rossiter and me, Anne-Elizabeth Sampson. The show's associate producers are Sandra Silva, Magda Malatu, and Kalita El-Sadati. The executive producer is Sheena Rossiter. This episode is fact-checked by Angela Capobianco. Alana Hamilton is the creative lead and project manager for the Walrus Lab. Mahira Lakshman is the director of the Walrus Lab. And I'm your host, Anne-Elizabeth Sampson. The funding for this show came from the Future of Canada project at McMaster University, and the generous financial support and catalyst for the project was a gift from Chancellor Emeritus L.R. Red Wilson. 
Kaylee Wisman and I were consulting producers from McMaster University. Our guests were Jane Engel and Autumn Peltier. Music for this podcast is provided by Audio Jungle. Our theme song is called Podcast Intro 3 by L Music. You also heard Last Chance, The Landscapes, and 432 Hertz Theta Meditation, all provided by Audio Jungle. Additional music is Troposphere and On the Wing from Purple Planet Music. Additional sources for this episode were provided by the United Nations. Don't forget to subscribe to Imagine 2080 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review and rating. It really helps people find the podcast. Until next week, when we look forward to the future. Thank you.